I sometimes have nightmares about a world of echoes, <laughs> in which there are only echoes, and echoes of echoes, and echoes of echoes of echoes, reverberating forever down the empty corridors of my mind. <laughs> now, here comes a problem, though, is how do you make your mind still? The method in Zen is a method of exasperation. Uh, they, of course, advocate various technical aids to making your mind still, such as the practice of Zazen, which is sitting, usually cross-legged, on cushions, in a long hall, and counting your breath, so as to eliminate from consciousness any other thought than that of the counting of the breath. And this eventually results in a state of stillness. Only that's not enough, because the skillful teacher feels that this kind of stillness is not yet true stillness. It's forced. And he's trying to get you to a point where it will never be necessary for you to force your mind to be still, but where it can be so quite naturally. And he can only do that by tricks, which are called Ukaya, in Sanskrit, or Ben in Japanese, which means skillful means. Uh, in pedagogy, Upaya means the, the tricks of the teacher's trade, how he gets attention, how he helps you to understand something. In politics, Upaya means cunning, deceit. There's a sort of a bad meaning in politics. And so, uh, the, the Zen teacher uses all sorts of tricks to get you away from the fallacy of trying to make your mind still by force, which is like trying to smooth rough water with a flat iron. All you do is stir it up. I am thinking that I am trying not to think. I am annoyed with myself because I am not successful, etc., etc. I should be successful. All these are disturbances. All these considerations, they're off the point. But how to get people off them? You have to reach a point, in other words, where you learn to leave your mind alone as you leave rough water alone so that it becomes smooth of itself. But while you conceive you're waiting for this to happen, you're still stirring it up. You therefore have to get rid of the sensation that there is you, the thinker, watching the thoughts. You, the feeler, separate from and trying to control the feelings. Because so long as that separation exists, you'll have trouble. And therefore, the function of the koans, the problems, like what is the sound of one hand, is to lead you to the natural uh, seeing through of, debunking of, the concept of the separate thinker and the separate experiencer. So that when you find out that the thinker and the thoughts are not different, then you'll have less and less trouble in allowing the thoughts to become quiet. It's difficult for us to understand this simply because of our language. When we say, Knowing, 
always feel that this is a function or activity of someone who thinks and knows. That's because we are tied up with this subject-verb-predicate language structure. Now the same problem is approached from a somewhat different point of view and with a different style, but essentially the same principles are being used in the philosophy of Krishnamurti. Only it comes from, it comes in a very different way. Because although Krishnamurti is an Indian, and thus we would say in the United States a Hindu, he doesn't present himself as affiliated with any kind of religious or philosophical organization. He comes on simply as Mr. Krishnamurti. And he doesn't present any gimmicks, any obvious techniques, because according to his view, all these special practices are hindrances. In other words, uh, supposing a group of people take up Zen Buddhism, before you know where you are, they have become a club, a special in-group, and they're the Zen people, and they're, they're going to sell this thing. They're going to say, you should try our Zen, you know. Uh, you may be a Christian scientist, you may be a Catholic, you may be a Seventh-day Adventist, you may be a Theosophist, and all these ways have something to be said for them. But Zen. And then, of course, they all start sitting in meditation.